now midnight in the Middle East, just hours away from the end of a six-day ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. It's led to the return of 16 hostages today alone, many women and children. So will the truce extend, or is a return to rockets imminent? We are live from the Middle East in moments as the negotiations continue. Plus, he used to be the top Republican here in Washington. Today, Kevin McCarthy giving an unfiltered look at what he thinks about Donald Trump's future, along with Nikki Haley, and why the National Basketball Association is now being forced to answer to one congressional committee. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Chris Steyerwald, News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Julia Manchester is the national political reporter for The Hill. Chris Hahn is a uh, News Nation political contributor and a former senior aide to Senator Chuck Schumer. And Mick Mulvaney, former Trump White House chief of staff, News Nation political and economic contributor as well. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Hello, come on in. So it is, of course, as we mentioned, midnight in the Middle East. We'll get the latest there in a moment. But first, what to make of this as we start off the show? According to reports, the multi-billionaire celebrity Mark Cuban is set to sell a majority stake of the Dallas Mavericks. He also recently announced that season 16 will be his last on Shark Tank. So what's he up to? Well, Sports Illustrated has this headline out today asking if a presidential run is next. Bill Kristol, you might know the name, longtime conservative in uh, politics here in the Beltway, writing today, quote, a few months ago, Mark Cuban said he wouldn't run for president in 2024 because my family would disown me. Perhaps someone should check in with his family today. Hello to you all. Nice to have you in. Uh, Mark Cuban, and there's, you know, some chatter, some speculation. Is this about Mark Cuban or who is being perceived at the top of both tickets. Well, uh, he's been sniffing around before. I first met Mark Cuban in 2016 when he was not, uh, flirting very loosely with okay. the idea. He's around. And you'd have to say, if you're thinking about who could no labels nominate, mm -hmm. uh, Mark Cuban makes sense. He's very famous. He can self-fund. Uh, and he would have sort of the right approach to go mix things up in the general election. Mark Cuban could make a lot of sense there, but who knows? I think oftentimes you hear, I think, uh, I, when looking at this, I think looking at the top of the ticket, right. these stories are going to come out about people like Mark Cuban, because Donald Trump and Joe Biden, who it looks like they are both going to be their party's nominees, are pretty unpopular, and that matchup is certainly so, unpopular. So hold that thought for a second. Headline uh, from a few years ago, Mark Cuban, quote, Biden and Trump aren't best and brightest that this country has to offer. That's right. what he said. Go on. Yeah, sorry. exactly. So I think you can, you'll definitely expect to hear potentially more from him on that. If he goes down this path, we think he might be going down. But look, I mean, this is someone who is, like Chris said, he's well-known, he's well-liked, has very big ties to the business community, obviously, has a lot of money, certainly raised some eyebrows. 
you know, I'm tired of people who have no experience running a government. <laughs> running a government. How'd that work out for you last time? <laughs> didn't work out. It doesn't work out much, right? And also, Colin Cowherd's the guy breaking this news. Didn't he pick the Jets to win the Super Bowl? Oh, so, like, he's, he's, he's speculating. Oh. this a little bit. You think we're talking about the wrong guy. I do. I think we should talk about Dwayne The Rock Johnson. But here's why. Uh, there's a lot of business people who think they make great politicians. Mike Bloomberg, Carly Fiorina, Jamie Dimon. They'd be miserable at it. If he runs, he's not running as a business person, just like Donald Trump wasn't running as a business person. Donald Trump ran as a television star. Right. right. Okay? Mark Cuban is a celebrity. That's a yep. different category. So I do think Steyerwalt's right. By the way, it only took me four minutes to say that this time. Okay. Um, that there's a chance. <laughs> no labels looks at this person as opposed to Manchin, which I think there's no constituency and, for. Right. It's a different It's a different kettle. NBC of News, and there's a, uh, is, is reporting that uh, Mark Cuban has said he has no plans to run in that 2024. Means, that means that means it's... It, Nikki Haley had no plans to right. run against yeah. Donald Trump. Right. I mean, it's just that when a politician tells you I have no well, plans, Mark, it means I might have plans tomorrow. Mark Cuban has said he really hates Donald Trump, right? So he's not going to run as a third party against Donald Trump and Joe Biden and help Donald Trump win. So well, how, not you know, every, where's his lane? But I, I, disagree, I disagree with the premise that any third party candidate hurts Biden more than it does Trump. Right. I agree. I think that Mark Cuban, I, I think... Democrats have to accept the reality. There are going to be a lot of other candidates on the ballot this this mm-hmm. cycle. And the share, so if you get 5% in a typical year of, of, of wasted votes, no offense to vote wasters, <laughs> uh, but people who are, who are voting for a libertarian candidate or a green candidate or writing in somebody, that number is going to be higher than 5% if you 20. have these two extraordinarily unpopular dudes running against each other. Mm. So I think Democrats just have so, to accept that somebody's there's going to be a blank, lot of right? Don't siphonage. you think, Chris, somebody's going to blank? I just think one of the parties are going to blank at some point, and they're going to they're going to jettison last, last one or two of these to guys. To your point, though, he can't run as a Republican because it's too late. He can't run as a Democrat because it's too late. He can't get on the ballots in most of the states. So it'd have to be as an independent or a third party like no labels. Or if if he's serious or interested, twenty twenty eight potentially. Who knows? Um, one right. cycle at a time. One si- I can't, do, I can't do two at once. Uh, speaking of uh, cycles, uh, another headline at a time, and we turn now to the Middle East. A total of sixteen hostages now free today after being released by Hamas, and that includes an American hostage as well for the first time. The temporary ceasefire between Israel and Hamas expires in about seven hours from now. Joining us live from uh, Tel Aviv once again, our man on the ground, Robert Sherman, with the very latest. Robert, good evening to you. It is midnight where you are. Uh, 7 a.m., this ceasefire expires. Do we anticipate any movement in the overnight hours where you are in the Middle East? Yeah, more than likely, Blake, on a few different fronts here, starting with the hostage situations. We already had a delivery of two hostages that took place earlier today, a pair of Russian citizens. Uh, but they, that was framed as being different than the major hostage release that we're expected to see here tonight. Fourteen hostages are now in Egypt and are on their way to Israel. Ten of them Israelis as well as uh, four of them being Thai citizens. But some of those Israeli citizens have dual citizenship, as you alluded to. One of them is an American. This is something that we've heard U.S. officials talking about for days on end. Where are the American citizens that are being held in Gaza? Well, here comes one of them tonight, more than likely, according to the Qatari Foreign Ministry. And then in terms of where we go here in the coming days uh, when it comes to the pause, the Israelis have left this very open-ended in the last couple of hours. Basically, two hands open saying, on the one hand, they're prepared to accept an extension if Hamas commits to 10 hostages released every day. If Hamas does not make that commitment, 
Then they say that they're ready to go and can be up and running in a couple of hours to resume the military operations taking place in the Gaza Strip. So we should have a better idea of exactly which way that pendulum is going to swing in the next few hours. But in the time being, we should be seeing some hostages come back to Israeli soil within the next hour or so, Blake. All right. Robert Sherman, live for us once again in Tel Aviv. Robert, thank you. Joining us now is the uh, Democratic Congresswoman from the state of Vermont, uh, Becca Balance. She was the first Jewish member of Congress to call for a ceasefire in the uh, Israel-Hamas war. Congresswoman, thanks for being with us here on the Hill. Appreciate it. Um, so you, you called for this ceasefire a couple weeks ago. Um, we don't know what's about to happen in the next couple days here. Based on what you've seen over the last six days, are you still for a ceasefire? Well, what I had said is that I want a true negotiated ceasefire, one in which we would get all the hostages released, we would have the bombing stop, we would move towards a true uh, pathway to peace so that we could have a two-state solution. I still believe that, and I think that we can build on what has happened in the last few days. Um, I believe that we cannot uh, move forward until all the hostages are released, and that hasn't happened yet. And I also know Hamas cannot stay in power in Gaza. They're not only holding Israelis hostage, they're holding their own people hostage. So what I was trying to you know, say with my statement is that so many of us want the same things, and let's name those things so we have a pathway forward. Well, you say a pathway forward and move forward until all the hostages are, are released. What, what exactly does move forward look like and mean to you? Well, so exactly as it's happening right now, that we have to keep pushing, the president and uh, Secretary Blinken need to keep pushing to make sure that all the hostages are released. And what I hope is that we will continue to see these waves of hostages being released, continue to see more humanitarian aid coming into Gaza, and hopefully pressure placed on the international community to make it clear to Hamas that they can no longer stay in power in Gaza. I believe it's more than 90 hostages that have been released, and there's still, I believe, eight Americans. Um, obviously, the great news that, that one is out. But what is, is there anything that you, you think the White House or the administration can do to press to get more of these Americans back home? Well, they have to continue to press Qatar specifically and also partners in Egypt to intervene. Look, Hamas is a terrorist organization. They cannot be trusted uh, to abide by their word. We know this for weeks now. We've seen that they have um, held children separately from parents. They have done things that they promised they would not be doing. They still have not admitted to the atrocities that were carried out on October 7th. And so, yes, Biden needs to use those partners in Qatar and other uh, nations in the Middle East to say that this... Uh, is not something that can happen without deep, deep concessions on the part of Hamas. L last question for you, Congresswoman. Um, there are some in your party who want to condition, put conditions around aid to Israel, meaning if we are going to send billions of dollars to Israel, it has to be done with A, B, C, and D, so on and so forth attached. Do you believe that crosses well, the line? Certainly. Well, certainly those conversations need to be happening. And what will cross the line or not for me remains to be seen. It is still very much in a place of conversation right now on the Hill. But of course, what Americans are feeling right now is they want to make sure that aid that we have going to Israel 
not being used to hurt civilians. And so that's the crux of the matter for so many of us. Would you, would you vote for an aid package if there were border conditions, southern border conditions you didn't like? I will have to look at the pack package in its entirety. I know that for me there might also be um, aid that we're still struggling with, flooding that we had in Vermont this summer. We're looking at aid for Ukraine. So it will be a package that has a lot attached to it. So it's difficult to give you okay. an up or down answer right now. All right, uh, Congresswoman Ballin. Uh, first time here on the Hill, I believe. Thanks for joining us. Hope you come on back. I appreciate it. Yep, you got it. Uh, Chris, we both looked at each other when she said, when we asked about aid, when I asked about aid, and then she attached, you know, flooding in Vermont. Vermont, Vermont yeah. flood aid. Right, yeah. and, and you got to wonder if, and, and I'm not trying to single her out, no, no, but no. if that's going to be one and then a dozen and then a hundred and so on and so forth. Well, yeah, I mean, look, the, the game that we're playing in the House right now, and I want to hear uh, former Congressman Mulvaney's uh, insight on this, but it strikes me that we're in a everyone-for-themselves era hmm. uh, in the House of Representatives. Uh, the old order having been substantially defeated. Now people are like, why can't I put my own ornaments on the Christmas tree? Yeah. If, we're if we're hanging ornaments, uh, people in Vermont want flood relief. People, So it, uh, it will be interesting to watch. That was a very festive answer. I feel festive. Yes. I feel festive. Folks in this town in Southern Beltway know what the term must pass legislation means. There's usually every single year a couple of bills that must pass. The funding bills, the uh, uh, defense reauthorization, defense reauthorization yeah. act. These have to pass. And typically they are the things that people want to attach things to. It used to just be the leadership that got to do that. Now it's everybody gets a chance to do that. The Israeli funding is must pass piece of legislation. So this is just going to be the first conversation we right. have about what gets attached to it. All right. Uh, now to President Biden and his attacks against, quote unquote, MAGA Republicans. The president is in the state of Colorado right now tout, uh, touting Bidenomics and new clean energy jobs. It also happens to be in the district of the Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. <laughs> President speaking moments ago. The historic investments we're celebrating today is in Congressman Boebert's district. She called this law a massive failure. You all know you're part of a massive failure? Yeah. You were chuckling uh, that's, Well, that's pretty, I, I got to say, I mean, I don't normally laugh at uh, politician jokes, but that's pretty funny. The, the sign of the cross over Lower and Bobert is uh, uh, yeah. Beetleju Beetlejuice vape enthusiast, <laughs> hardest hit. <laughs> On to what he said, MAGA Republicans. Yeah. Is, is this smart strategy. Is that what you want him focusing yes. on? Do you love hearing that? Like I want him to attack. Yeah. I don't Can think he? he could, yes. He needs to attack Trump, Trumpism, and MAGAism every single day. The guy is getting closer. People have forgotten. He's going to run around saying how great the economy was, but he wants us all to ignore that last year when a million Americans died and the economy shut down on his watch because he failed us. COVID, no, no, no. He failed us as president. He did not protect us from COVID. He made a small budget cut two years earlier that removed a safeguard in China that would have helped warn us of COVID. It's on him. And nobody says it. The president needs to say it. Okay. 
I know you did. We'll get to we'll get to everything that was wrong with that statement later. Uh, quick, no, but but MAGA, MAGA is the new fascist, right? That's what they want to say. They don't want to say fascist. They don't want to say Nazi. So they say MAGA. This is a it's a it's a dog whistle to, to folks. That's that's all this is. And you're going to hear it again and again and again. And you're wrong about the budget. Uh, I'll, I'll give the last the last USAID. Word. It worked. It, Mag, MAGA Republicans as a label right. it worked. It worked in 2023 and it worked in 2022. This is Biden essentially giving messaging to down ballot Democrats, and yep. they're going to carry this, especially in a district like Lauren Boebert's, very well known, prominent Republican, but she a nearly, swing barely, barely won nearly, 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 yes. last time. Yep, swing district. I should remind folks, you penned an article many years ago saying it should be called Maganomics. Like you embraced some of the term, right? Yep. Still, in fact, uh, still have the sign that no one else would take. Yes, we called it. We want to call it "Make America Great Again Economics." Maganomics. Right. We love. We love the name. So, so in that form, you like it. But then, and uh, to Chris's point, right. it doesn't move swing voters. I don't know. But the folks on the right who love Donald Trump love MAGA. The folks on the left who hate Donald Trump hate MAGA. So I don't know if it moves anybody. Okay. All right. Well, as a reminder, News Nation is hosting the fourth Republican presidential debate. Next Wednesday, uh, one week from today, that is December 6th, 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 Central, from the University of Alabama, moderated by SiriusXM's Megyn Kelly, News Nation's own Elizabeth Vargas, and Eliana Johnson, the editor-in-chief of the Washington Free Beacon. That is one week from today here on News Nation. But before then and coming up, did Republicans just get maybe a little bit of a blueprint for how to be Democrats in contested races? Where elections in one state led to a surprise result and what it might mean, if anything, for the biggest race of them all next year. Steyerwalt breaks it down on the other side of the break. And Congress, the NBA, and China. The request from Capitol Hill and the response from one of the biggest sports leagues in the world. What's that all about? We'll get into it when The Hill returns. Nation. All right, welcome back here to The Hill. So Charleston, South Carolina, has done something for the first time in 150 years. They've elected a Republican mayor. Former state legislator William Cogswell's win last week is one of a few GOP victories this year. Now, while the election was technically nonpartisan, one reason he won is because the Democratic vote in that city was divided. He also picked up support from far more working class African-American voters. That's usually a, a, a staple for Democrats in urban areas. So what does it all mean? Maybe. Steyerwald is here to break it all down. I can do Chris. maybe. maybe. And I know it's nonpartisan, but have you ever seen a more Republican-looking human being than that guy? He looks <laughs> oh, like, you. yeah, he, 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 that's a stone-cold Republican bro right there. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, why do you care about the mayoral election in Charleston, South Carolina? You don't, uh, unless you live in Charleston, South Carolina, a lovely uh, city indeed. Why you might care about it is what it says about the nature of the Democrats' coalition and what it might say about 2024. I want to read to you uh, something, a quote from my friend Dave Weigel, writing in Semaphore. This, this was the runoff election. In the, in the prior round, there was a younger African-American woman who was challenging the incumbent not a Democrat, but really a Democratic candidate. And they brought in all the cavalry, right? They brought in uh, Jim Clyburn. They brought in national Democratic figures to try to prop this guy up. And here's what she said. She said, this is uh, Mika Gadsden. You keep rolling up that DNC bus like it means something in a city that is displaced black voting bloc and you, that you need and want here. 
uh, you can bring in all the fish fries, all the Clyburn, all the Cory Bookers, all the Kamalas, but when you've eroded that block and now you're looking at them like, oh, where are you at? Well, where they were at, in fact, was voting for the Republican in that race, that very Republican-looking dude that we showed you before. Uh, This is concerning for some Democrats, uh, with good reason. And you know why? Look at Joe Biden's job approval rating among different age groups. Check it out. Here it is. Ta-da. Okay. Lower approval rating among those 18 to 29-year-old voters. Uh, we've heard a lot. We've talked here about, is it Hamas? Is it uh, the support for Israel? What, what's driving this? What's driving this? And I want to tell you something. I want to tell you people something. It's not that complicated. It's the economy. It's the economy because who takes it right in the teeth when there's high inflation? It's low wage earners. Who doesn't earn, who doesn't earn a lot of money? People starting out in their careers. Young people are dissatisfied with the economy. Two, as you will see in this next graphic, ta-da, how do you view the way Biden is handling the economy? Look at the spreads there, right? The, the numbers get worse the, among younger voters. And we have other polling that, point, that points to real economic pessimism among younger voters. But they're going to come back for Joe Biden, aren't they? Won't they be like they were in 2020? Won't they come back for Joe Biden when they overwhelmingly, as you can see there, according to exit polls, voted for Joe Biden? I don't know. Look at this. Here you go. Check out our final snazzy graphic. Who would you vote for for president? This is NBC News, high quality poll that we like very much. We've talked about here before. Donald Trump winning among those younger voters. Now, I will tell you right now, just so that Chris Hahn doesn't jump over the top of the desk before I finish saying these things. (laughs) I will tell you, that's not going to be what the final number looks like. But if it's anything like that, if it's anything like that with younger voters, black voters, white voters, whatever, uh, that's a serious problem for Democrats. And it's something that we're going to watch from here on in. So that's I did it. I did it. I I didn't almost do it. I did it. I did it. Yeah, there you go. So on that point about young voters, is it that. It's not that Donald Trump is popular or getting popular with young voters. It's that young voters are so disillusioned with Biden. They're just pushing back. Yeah, and also I think it's free money right now to complain about the guy who you've got, right? Right. You're you're almost a year away from the election. Who do you like? I don't like that guy. But my point is it's the margins that matter. So for Trump, the margins that he has to worry about from 2020 uh, are among suburbanites, college-educated, older, more affluent voters. If he does worse with those voters, which he certainly will, but how much worse will he do right. with those, those voters than he did in 2020, post-January 6th, post-all that goofy uh, business? For Biden, he's going to win with younger voters, but what's the fall-off, mm-hmm. right? What's the gap, and what's the turnout like? I think the delta with young voters right now is age Oh, totally. Biden's age. Yeah. And I think it seeps into every other question you ask them. Now, it doesn't mean they're not disillusioned with the economy. It doesn't mean that they're not happy with certain things. But they look at him and they say, that guy's too old. I want somebody else. Now, when it's a real choice, like you just said, when it's a real choice next November, I find it hard to believe they're going to go with that guy. Well, Dean Phillips says Biden needs to smoke pot, I think. Yeah, I saw that. Dean Phillips says it's time for Joe Biden to get lifted. Uh, I I don't know what's going on. Uh, Maybe it's the discount liquor brand uh, is branching out. I don't know. By the way, to the the South Carolinian, two takeaways from this. Um, One, it's a very small sample, right? It's not a lot of folks voted in this race. It is a center-left type of city, but it's not a, a hardcore Democrat city. It's still in South Carolina, after all. It's more of a libertarian place than it is a progressive place. But 
if one of the takeaways here is that this monolithic African-American vote for Democrats is fracturing, just like so many other monolithic votes for the other for each party is fracturing, that is a big story. And Mr. Republican dude in that race was able to capitalize on it because of the, the, the moderate and acceptable viewpoints that made him an acceptable spoiler to the Democratic. And the second takeaway, and I'm looking right at you because I know what demographic you were in age-wise, I cannot believe somebody went from being on the Jetsons to being mayor of Charleston, South Carolina. <laughs> Mr. Cogswell, Cogswell Cogs. Very nice, very nice. It's the place to leave it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, by the way, some programming <laughs> news. We are very excited to announce. What? The Hill, this show. Set to air on Sirius XM's POTUS channel, weeknights at hey. 6 Eastern, 5 o'clock Central. I know that. It's Chris Hahn has a face for radio. There you go. <laughs> wow. Starting uh, Monday, December 4th. Did you not know this? No, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Announced today. Um, start starting so next Monday. Yes. We're on air here, of course, 5 o'clock Eastern on the tube. And starting at 6 o'clock Eastern, if you're in your car, driving home, on your phone, whatever, using the SiriusXM app, I love you that. can listen to our show, the, the Hill. The hour delay so that they can add curse words to the radio They'll just deep it, everybody. So starting next Monday, uh, you can check us out every single day, channel 124 SiriusXM. That's super cool. Yeah, very we can actually delay. listen to ourselves. There you go. <laughs> on the way home. My favorite way back. I love to listen to the sound of my own voice. Alright, well coming up, uh, Mick Mulvaney. Heard of him. He's the former White House Chief of Staff. He's the former Congressman. See a future screenwriter? Uh-oh. <laughs> Even Mick says his latest idea will never happen, but it got him thinking about the what if. Mick is going to lay out his latest article and why he thinks it could return politics to normal. Plus, have you heard what Kevin McCarthy is now saying about Donald Trump and Nikki Haley? We'll show it all to you when The Hill on News Nation returns. All right, welcome back to The Hill. So attacks between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley are starting to heat up. In a fundraising email, Trump has described Haley as a quote-unquote puppet GOP candidate as she just received the endorsement of the influential group founded by conservative Charles Koch. Haley is now amping up her attacks. I am running against President Trump. I'm waiting for him to get on a debate stage. He can't keep hiding the way he's hiding. He can't start acting like President Biden. He needs to get on the debate stage. He needs to confront us. He needs to let us, you know, talk about the differences and go forward. Today, we also heard from the former House Speaker Kevin, Mc Kevin McCarthy. In an interview, he said this about the former President Trump. If his, uh, a quote rather, if his campaign is about renew, rebuilding, and restore, he'll win. If it's about revenge, he'll lose. Kevin McCarthy, uh, a bit unfiltered today. Very unfiltered, and this is all coming as, you know, there's a, uh, Liz Cheney is coming out with her own book with some unfiltered comments about says, Kevin McCarthy. Oh, about yeah. uh, Kevin, But, you know, in terms of Kevin McCarthy, look, going back to that, he's in a position where he can say what, whatever he wants. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think he's very much... He's in a chamber right now that is on the defense when it comes to uh, 2024, and that goes up to the, the top of the ticket as well. He was also asked today uh, about who he thinks Donald Trump should pick as his running mate, and here's what Kevin McCarthy said, quote, Well, right now, I think it would be Nikki Haley, in my view, but the question is, who you select, will they serve? So that's another question you have to have, and it's about addition. I don't think he's picking Nikki Haley. I think it's going to be like... Ivanka, come on! You know, <laughs> oh no, yes. I'm not just making. I'm not just saying that as a throwaway line. He's going to pick somebody 
intensely loyal to him because everybody wants him out, even the people who say they don't. Anybody who would be of the level to be a VP candidate, normal person like Nikki Haley, uh, wants him out, and they will be plotting to get him out. The Christy Nome is, is, is hanging outside of, of Trump's window right now, peeking in over the over the ledge. I'm ready, and I I agree uh, with our Democratic friend. Which part? No, the part that if you're Trump, you don't want. And I say this with love. You don't want Mick Mulvaney's Mike Pence. You don't want people of principle and character uh, in your administration who are occasionally going to say, I'm sorry, but that's illegal. Or I'm sorry, right. no, you can't do that. You don't want Mulvaney's. You want factotums. You want people who are going to do what you do, what you tell them. The wrinkle learned is this, the because, and I've been there before. And I said, look, they don't trust each other. They don't like each other. I, I've gone back and forth on Nikki Haley as a vice presidential candidate. I got, even, assuming she would take the job, which she might not. But here's why he would take her and why she would say yes. Number one, if he really believed he needed that to get over the line, if he really believed adding a woman like Nikki Haley helps him in the in in, in the suburbs, he decides, okay, I'll put past. Uh, bygones be bygones, I'll pick her. And if she decides that she wants to run in 2028 and she needs to stay relevant, um, she might take the job. That, those are the circumstances. I don't think it's outrageous to think that might be the ticket. I'm still with Steyerwalt on this. I think Christy Noem is at the top of the list. What do you make of that first quote about renew, uh, rebuild, restore who wins? If it's revenge, he loses. He's wrong. Um, Kevin McCarthy's yeah, wrong. Kevin's, Kevin's wrong on that. I Why? have a great deal of respect for Kevin. Trump is going to do what Trump does. If, 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 if Kevin McCarthy was a better politician than, than Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy would still be speaker. Oh, and, and he might be president. He might be president. And if Kevin McCarthy would have put a knife in Donald Trump when he had a chance, Kevin McCarthy would still be speaker. The point is, people. <laughs> that was Kevin McCarthy's big mistake. A lot of folks in us, okay, folks who, who do this for a living, people who are reasonable politicians or, 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 or pundits, have never understood Donald Trump, don't understand why people like him, don't understand his popularity, but it's there. And I think Kevin, with all due respect, is wrong. Trump is going to but, rise. But voters want it to be about them, not about the politicians. Well, the, the voters way, you know want it to be about the, them. The voters voting for Trump mm, want something else. But it's one on the margins. He needs to win on the margins. The, the people screaming at the rally don't care what he says. They know he's a horrible person, but they think he's their horrible person. It's the guys on the margin that he has to convince to vote for him that want to know what he's going to do for them. And if all he's doing is running around saying, well, I'm going to go get Mick Mulvaney for writing that article about me, he had uh, you know, 15, it's not going to happen. 15 million votes more in 2020 than they had in 2016 after everybody knew what they were voting for. Hmm. I'll give you well, the last well, the way I interpreted that comment from Mick Mulvaney, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> that guy, <laughs> that guy um, uh, former Speaker McCarthy, the way I interpreted that was essentially McCarthy warning, like many Republicans have, for Donald Trump to stop talking about 2020, stop okay. talking about, to talk about the economy and such, and we've seen that that's hurt Republicans in the past. All right, Mick, you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, you got an op-ed out, uh, in the Hill, by the way where Mick lays out a dramatic scenario for the 2024 presidential election. Here's the headline. Uh, Imagining a Biden-Trump deal that could return our politics to normalcy. From Biden's point of view, here's what Mick proposes. Quote, Donald, I have a deal for you. I will pardon you tonight on national television, and I will ask that all the state charges be dropped against you on one condition. You agree to give up the campaign and never run for office again, Mick. So I started this under thinking that no one could script up what's happened in American politics in the last five or six years. If you sat down in 2015 and wrote this out, what actually happened and gave it to a producer at the West Wing or in Hollywood, they'd laugh you out of the building. I'm like, okay, so if we're just sort of shooting for the moon, what might happen from here on out? I started with that premise that that the Democrats want to get rid of Biden because they think he can lose. Republicans are still not warming to Trump, or at least a lot of them are not. How do you get both of these gentlemen out of the race? 
at the same time. That Trump gets convicted, he's looking at real jail time, there's possible social unrest, Biden calls him up, offers him a pardon if he agrees not to run. Trump rejects that, saying that's what this was always about. This was always about keeping me out of the White House. This is always about you preserving your place at the presidency. I won't do that. And Biden says, I'll tell you what, you take the deal. I'll re- I won't run again either. We both bow out together and we turn this over to the next generation. Is it crazy? Yes. Is it going to happen? <laughs> no. But face it, it's not the crazy. If it did happen, it wouldn't be the craziest thing that's happened in American politics. You need a common enemy for them, though, in the, in the script. You need a common enemy for them to unite against. Uh, we were talking about the Jack Lemmon, James Garner movie. Yeah. fellow Americans. Uh, you need to write Hillary into this script <laughs> where they unite against Hillary Clinton. Then, <laughs> there we go. then, then it can work. I, I feel a screenplay coming on. It's going to be good. Mulvaney and Steyerwald. I, I said, screenwriter next career? Uh, <laughs> there we go. I think everybody's moving into this alternative universe version of fiction, right? I yeah. Mean, Every Marvel movie, there's multiple universes. Uh, we talk about that Apple TV show. Uh, True. Uh, it, it's great. It's a great genre. But we just, <laughs> we just learned that Starwell was talking about Dwayne The Rock Johnson three or four years ago, five Long years ago. ago. Yeah. I was talking about a year and a half. And now it was crazy three weeks ago. He was here last week talking the to Rock. folks on the Senate. I'm yeah, glad you ended it that Johnson. way because I was going to say when you started talking about alternate universes, we started the show with Mark Cuban, okay. right? Because there's some who are talking him up based on uh, some moves he's made in the last couple of days. All right. It was a good read. Read it if you haven't. Nick in the Hill. Great read. Coming up, uh, why is Congress getting involved in the NBA? Speaking of Mark Cuban, the league now responding to a letter from lawmakers on Capitol Hill who are concerned about the links between the NBA and China and more than a dozen players with ties to Chinese companies accused of troubling practices. So what comes next? Is there something here? And why are they going after the NBA? We'll get into it after the break. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, welcome back. So the UAW now has a new target, and it is none other, at least in part, than the world's wealthiest man, Elon Musk. Now, fresh off victories in negotiations with the big three automakers, the UAW is now trying to unionize the entire non-union auto sector. That would include some popular and and well-driven brands like Toyota, Volkswagen, and Tesla. What do you make of this? Yes, do it. From a Democrat's view. Look, my dad was a teamster. My teeth are straight because my dad was a teamster, right? Okay. Uh, And I think that unions have brought middle class to the entire country. And I think Elon Musk has had too good of a life up till now. Let him have to fight this fight, which he's going to lose, by the way. Because I'm not sure this is an Elon story, though. Because, like, when you look at... you know, union, uh, the UAW, it was something like uh, 1.5 million workers at its height, and it's now uh, some 400,000. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a question about them clearly trying to increase their footprint. And think about this. When they were 1.5 million, a lot of these other automakers weren't making cars in the United States at all. They were importing them from Green, Greenville and Spartanburg, South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, uh, Buffalo, West Virginia. Uh, cities and towns, communities across the South and Appalachia have seen prosperity 
from non-union plants that came into these mm-hmm. places because they were breaking out of the old regime. The target now is to come after places like this and, and manufacturers like BMW, Mercedes, mm-hmm. uh, Toyota, Volkswagen. And there's a subtext here, too, that the new leadership at the UAW is, I mean, just fantastically left. I mean, they make you look like a centrist. <laughs> these are Democrats. So <laughs> I am a centrist. These, these, these I am a centrist. Actually, Sean Fain was wearing Fain, a shirt that said, eat the rich. Sean Fain did an interview during, cool. the, during the UAW strike when he said, look, this is not really, I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, this is not about higher wages. This is about social justice. This is about socialism. This is about progressivism. This is now a political movement, not the labor movement. They this is not that. your dad's well, union. They look, buy that in something entirely look, different. Again, no. though, it's going to bring more prosperity to the workers at those plants, which would in turn bring more because prosperity Detroit to those towns. Prosperous cities in America. That's, that's well, they left Detroit for the most part, right? There isn't a lot going Why on. Why did they in leave Detroit? Detroit? Because the unions were there. So, by the way, Elon Musk uh, is is doing a or just wrapped, I believe, a live interview, and he was asked about Tesla, and there's some other stuff in there. Uh, oh yeah. By the yeah. way. Elon in some four-letter words. Um, he said, quote, we make the best cars. Whether you hate me, like me, or are indifferent, do you want the best car or not the best car? When it comes Elon to electric Musk. vehicles, he's right. Just they are the best EVs. All right. What a week for Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So <laughs> is Elon running for president? Because we haven't talked about him. No, no, no. no oh, I, I highly doubt he's running for president. <laughs> uh, but back here in Washington, though. Let me add him. <laughs> why is the NBA playing defense against Congress? A congressional committee about China with members from both sides of the aisle, has raised concerns over the league's business ties with China, specifically the use of forced labor in China when it comes to league apparel. Now the league is responding, sending a letter saying that it, quote, condemns human rights violations anywhere and adheres to U.S. guidelines for doing business in China. Why are they going after the NBA here? Anyone? Well, I think they're going after a number of these, you know, big business, particularly when you com- when you look at textiles and fashion in China. You know, not long ago, ABC News did a documentary on the, uh, sh- it's called Sheen, yeah. a fast fashion I think company. It's IPO is uh, coming soon, maybe yeah, like $60 billion. Yeah, or so yeah. and a lot of this stuff is made very cheaply from China, and you can get it very cheap here in the United States, shipped very quickly. Um, but there are serious questions about how the, the, the conditions that these workers are facing in these factories in China. And you're seeing that, I think, when it comes to the NBA um, and I think other businesses. I think you're going to hear other businesses have to answer for this. China is one of those rare bipartisan issues in Congress and holding them accountable. And I think they're going to go forward with more. Is this because of what happened a couple of years ago? When there was LeBron, we, James. Yeah, LeBron and Daryl Morey, who was a uh, general manager, in which he said, we stand with Hong Kong. And then there was some backlash in China. Oh, and he had to walk it back. And yeah. is, is that what's going on there? And LeBron, and LeBron James was uh, so wrong and so bad on this uh, and the sucking up to China. You know, we, we talked about this last week uh, or the week before when uh, Chairman Xi was in uh, San Francisco and all of the U.S. executives went yeah. to go suck up to yeah. him, right? Like, uh, Standing up. This, this huge uh, market that people want access to, that the NBA market. wants access to, the time is coming for choosing where you, people are, companies uh, and organizations right. are going to have to choose between the China China market and, and maintaining in uh, the U.S. market. And it's that's Jerry West on that basketball, right? That's Zeke from Cabin Creek. This is an American brand. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's red, white, and blue. They ought to stick with it. There's a diverging interest here. Corporate America is moving more and more towards supporting China and less and less towards being American companies. We saw it every single day in the White House with CEOs of Fortune 500 companies yeah. coming in. Going, Please go softer on China. Please go softer on really? China. You know all the names. You can imagine who they are. This is more of the same. These are folks what, who what? these are American companies, but they're not patriotic companies. What's that pitch? Because they're not saying, please go softer. 
soft on China? Like, what are the, I, I assume, They're I don't know, you tell me. we need the market to support our brand. Mr. Basically. President, we, 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 we're making all of our money in China while we, we employ all these people in the United States. If we can't sell in China, right. we'll go out of business. That's why I ask, why are they going after the NBA? Well, it's a good, look, it's an easy. I'm not saying what, what's going on is easy, right. I don't want that to be the impression. It's an easy headline to talk yeah. about the NBA. You, right. you, go after, you go after a dozen. <laughs> layup. It's a layup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's a great line. Uh, you know, there are dozens of companies that are doing the same thing. Right. Uh, you put the NBA in, in there, and there you go. All right. Well, coming up Slam in the next. dunk. Coming up in the next hour, Connell McShane is filling in for Elizabeth Vargas on Elizabeth Vargas Reports. Tonight, he will be speaking with media reporter Brian Stelter about the new allegations surrounding the NBA player. Josh Giddy, have you heard about this? Uh, it's, it's, it's disturbing, and they're looking into it. Um, Connell's conversation with Brian, 6 o'clock Eastern, after this program, right here on News Nation. And coming up here before we go, some welcome news for the father of the American hostage released today. We are now learning who this hostage is, uh, now in safe custody. We actually spoke with her father randomly a few weeks ago. Final thoughts from the panel here on the other side of the break. December 6th, the News Nation Republican primary debate. News Nation's Elizabeth Vargas, Sirius XM's Megyn Kelly, and the Washington pre-beacon's Eliana Johnson moderate a live primetime event Wednesday, December 6th on News Nation. All right, let's end here uh, on, a, on some really great news. As President Biden just a few moments ago announced that one of the Americans being held by Hamas is now safe and free. We've got some very good news to report. Layat Benin is safe in Egypt. She's crossed the border. I talked with her mother and father. They're very appreciative, and uh, things are moving well. She'll soon be home with her three children. That's all I have to say for right now. President moments ago leaving Colorado. Now, you might remember on this show, and you see a picture of her, uh, last month, October 26th, I had the opportunity to talk to Liat's father. His name is Yehuda. He had been here uh, relentlessly in Washington, doing everything he could to get his daughter and her husband freed from Hamas captivity. Uh, you could see Liat, uh, her husband, who is presumably still being held hostage. That is Yehuda Benin. And can, can we keep the video up for a second, if you don't mind? Because he was here. I, I just want to show he was here going basically to congressional office to congressional office and trying to raise awareness and trying to make sure, do anything that he could, as any father would at that point in time, to get his daughter out. She is Israeli-American. He is Israeli-American. Uh, her husband is Israeli. And today, the good news is we just heard from the commander-in-chief that that man's daughter is safe and free. Really great. Thank God. News. Thank, and, God. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah, thank God. It comes after Emily Hand. She's an Irish Israeli girl. She was reunited with her father. Yeah. Um, so lots of good news on that front this week, but a long way to go. Yeah, a long way to go. I mean, her husband, presumably still in Hamas captivity, it, it just goes to show some of the complexity. I was looking at the names of the 10 released uh, along with Liat, the ages of some of them 13, 15, 17, 18, and 18. They are still releasing. Yeah. Kids. Like the, like during the Iranian hostage crisis, this will continue to be a, a matter of focus for the American electorate. People will know these names. They will mm -hmm. be, become more notable. And you can see Biden is deeply engaged on this, that he knows the name. He's thinking about this. There, it's a paramount consideration. And that's a good thing. And one of the questions going forward here, obviously, is, is there going to be a ceasefire? Uh, because that has to be negotiated in the next six hours or so. Yeah. We'll know tomorrow. We'll know tomorrow morning. Yeah.
Uh, by the way, before we go, we should mention Rosalind Carter. Uh, finally laid to rest today, the former first lady, Jimmy Carter's wife. Uh, there was the memorial service yesterday, and you can see the images today out of Georgia. Um, Rosalind Carter uh, laid to rest today. Thank you all for being here. It was a, a jam-packed show, a lot of news going on, but wanted to end on that bit of good news. Yes. Liat Benin back home. Uh, we will be back here tomorrow, by the way. Make sure you set your DVRs if you need to. Uh, 